0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I am so thrilled today just to be alive, just to be breathing, just to be here. You're here with me, I'm here with you, and just the gift of being is really powerful. I know in meditation this morning, I got up in the morning early, I drank my coffee, I sat there and looked at the little collection of inspiring objects I have on my altar, and I really reflected on the privilege of just taking a breath, every breath we take is precious. And did you know that there are millions of people in the world for whom even taking a breath is a challenge. There are people with COPD who have trouble breathing, there are millions of people with breathing difficulties, and they can't do what you and I are doing right now easily just taking a breath. And So we can be grateful for all the wonderful things in our lives for right livelihood for our families for our bodies. And yet gratitude is as simple as just taking a breath. And I found myself feeling profoundly grateful for the privilege of breath today and for the privilege of being here. So I encourage you to look no further than your breath, no further than your body, no further than all the physiological processes that support you in having a wonderful life every single day. And as you breathe with me now, as you tune in to your breath, and the miracle of life that you enjoy day by day, we realize just how privileged we are consciousness is a privilege to be aware to be alert to be able to pay attention is such a privilege. We call it paying attention, like money like currency, because it really is a currency. It's really actually the currency that everyone has an exactly equal amount of. So the poorest person in the world, if you find the absolute poorest person in the poorest part of the poorest country in the world, <laughs> and you look at the life of that person, then go to the richest person in the world, who's the very richest person in the entire world, they both have exactly the same amount of the most precious currency there is. and That currency is attention, we have attention, and we all have exactly the same amount of attention. And so the question is, what will you spend your wealth on? What will you focus on? What will you direct your attention towards? And that's a choice for all of us. Do you direct your attention toward all of the negative thoughts in your mind? Do you direct your attention to all the bad things going on around you? Do you direct your attention to objects of your attention that will cause you stress? Or you do you deliberately look for things that'll bring you joy, that'll fill your life with a sense of well being, that will nurture you on your journey, that will accelerate your personal growth? So you have got exactly the same amount of this thing called attention as the most rich and the most poor person in the entire world. It is an equal opportunity aspect of consciousness, is our attention what will you spend your most precious asset on? As I'm teaching workshops, I teach many workshops every year, I teach in person workshops at places like Omega Institute, and the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I teach virtual workshops as well. I teach workshops on achieving a blissful state of mind. I teach workshops on eco meditation, I teach workshops on EFT tapping, I teach workshops on research. And as I travel around the world, as I teach both virtual and in person workshops, I'm so struck by how many people are living in a tiny little fragment, a tiny little subset of their potential. We have this unlimited potential. And when you're a baby, when you're a child, you just have that potential exploding around you in all kinds of ways you laugh and sing the average baby laughs 300 times a day. Think about that 300 times a day 10 times an hour more than 10 times an hour babies are in love with the world. And they're awed by the world they're in everything is new for them. And they find a lot to laugh about. Then we start to shut down around the age of three, four, five, we're trying to do it right. We're watching these adults around us and we think that they know what they're doing. After all, they're enormous. They're twice as tall as we are. <laughs> I'm tall now. But I remember being a child looking up at these people way about me there and thinking, whoa, awesome human being, he or she must really have got life figured out. The average adult laughs 20 times a day. That means that somewhere around those ages, four, five, nine, fifteen, 15, we shut down 93% of our laughter. Now, if you want a tragic statistic, <laughs> a truly depressing statistic to laugh over, you have one there, the average baby laughs 300 times a day, and the average adult laughs 20 times a day, how often in the day do you laugh? How often a day in the day are you just looking around you and being grateful for whatever is outside there inside of you? even as basic as your breath. How often during the day are you in that state of awe and gratitude? I know for me, I practice cultivating that every day. Why do I meditate in the morning? Why do I start my day off that way? Am I a particularly spiritual person? Am I a particularly unusual person? And the answer to both questions is no, I'm just a person who cares about nurturing myself, better a person who feels about feeling good. So I do that for me. It's the thing I can do for Dawson Church that most gives me equilibrium. Also, once you start to calm yourself down, once you start to inhabit the present moment, once you start to be in touch with your breath, once you're using your most precious currency of paying attention, paying attention to the moment, paying attention to the presence of your consciousness, in the great universal consciousness, on which we're all one, suddenly you direct your attention that way, and the world starts to change. Everything is different when you do that. When you start to direct your attention to the present moment, to how you feel in your body, that's a sense called interoception. Proprioception is where we are in space. Interoception is where we are inside our bodies. When you start to direct your attention there, just feel the cells of your body Feel the 100,000 processes that every cell is going through every second. Feel the gratitude of just being alive. (laughs) The gratitude of just being alive, the gratitude of breathing. And we do it 23,000 times a day. 23,000 times a day, our body just breathes for us. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to control it. We don't have to make it happen through consciousness or willpower intention, our bodies just breathe for us every day. And they're just loving us into existence. One of the striking factors about life is that life animates us and life infuses us every day with vitality. If you can do a little thought experiment with me now. So imagine going into a hospital, and there's somebody there who's alive, but they're drawing their last breath, they draw their last breath, and now they die. Now, a few moments later, the line on a slab in the mortuary, and they have all the proteins, they have all the molecules, they have all the atoms, they have all the cells to support life, they have a head, they have a brain, they have neurons, they have muscles, they have skin, they have absolutely every single molecule, every single cell required to be alive. And they're only lacking one simple thing. That's life itself. They have all the material wherewithal to be alive. They have all of the, the anatomy to be alive and walking around, and they're not. They're dead because this mysterious thing called life has departed. So that's what happened to you and to me. Sometimes I have people in my workshops, my live workshops, and their biggest fear is death. Because a lot of people I'll say, okay, hey, tell me, what's the biggest fear you have? Some will say, I'm so afraid my child is going to die. Or I'm so afraid my mother's going to die. And I said said to them things like, well, guess what? Your child is definitely going to die and your mother is guaranteed to die. Not only that, I'm going to die, you're going to die. Every single person in this room is going to die. (laughs) Guaranteed, we're all going to die. It's what we do with the moments and with the breaths between this moment and that moment that makes the difference in our lives. What will you do? with your 23,000 breaths a day? Where will you direct your attention with this precious gift that the world's richest person has and the world's poorest person and you have equally of attention? Where will you direct your attention? Do you direct your attention to things outside of you? Do you direct your attention to things inside of you? Do you direct your attention to being that consciousness that is the all that is? There is only one consciousness in the universe. There aren't a lot of different consciousnesses. Now, those consciousnesses, that, that one consciousness takes form in different ways. And so our consciousness as a human being is one form of consciousness, that we partake of that one single consciousness that is the fabric of the universe. There's so much interesting physics behind this. And there's physics showing that the world, that the the universe is holographic. And by participating in that consciousness, which we can easily do with meditation, you then are able to be aware of and one with that consciousness. When we talk to monks and nuns and long term meditators, we hear them describing ecstatic states. They say things like, I closed my eyes, I settled myself down, got my body comfortable. Regulated my breath, relaxed my muscles, and suddenly I was one with the all that is. One with the all that is. And when they're there, there is no I and there. There is only one, and that's consciousness. That's why this form of meditation and philosophy and practice is called non duality. In Sanskrit, it's called Vedanta. Vedanta, Vedanta, and it means not two, not two things. The Talmud in Judaism has the same same form of uh, of expressing the 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 that movement into the the consciousness of the All that is. It says not two, just like Vedanta does. All the great spiritual traditions talk about not being separate from the all that is, that we're one with the all that is, we're one in that consciousness. So when these meditators, when these monks and nuns, when these people who have been practicing meditation for a while are able to reach that state, they follow their breath, they still their minds, they use their precious gift of attention to pay attention to consciousness, they merge with consciousness, they then describe ecstatic states. And in those states, they lose any sense of being a separate self, they now are one with the all that is, and it is the most pleasurable experience known to a human being. And as we study the neurochemistry of that, which I do in my book, bliss brain, we find their brains are full of neurochemicals like serotonin, and dopamine, and Oxytocin and nitric oxide and beta endorphin and anandamine this molecule. So they're literally their brains are literally bathed in these pleasurable neurotransmitters and hormones, and they feel absolutely incredible. They feel as though they're in complete bliss, surrendered to the all it is. There is no local I. There is no me clinging to this temporary self that's gonna die. There is that sense of oneness with the all that is. And in that oneness, you lose your fear of death because you have now died. You have now died as an ego, died as a local personality, and you've ascended into oneness with the all that is. Now, that comes to an end. So after an hour, or after two hours, something happens. You have to go to work. The kids wake up. (laughs) You have to deal with your responsibilities. You have to drive somewhere. You have to take care of your parents. Whatever you have to do, that period comes to an end. And you then move back into local consciousness. Now you're back in local awareness. And so now you, as that local self, are dealing with your local world. But you're dealing with it in a very different way because you've been one for that 30 minutes of meditation or that 90 minutes of meditation. You have been one with the all it is is. You've been one with that non-local self. And you bring all the resources of that one local non-local self into your local life, you've died for that hour of meditation, your local self has been abandoned, it's just sitting there like a corpse, while you in consciousness are one with the all it is. And that consciousness is also eternal, it has no beginning and no end. So as you know, you are one with that one consciousness, you know that you have no beginning and no end. So what does that do to fear of death, there can be no fear of death, after that kind of experience. And we find as we study these monks and nuns, as we study long term meditators, they're fearless, they have no fear of death whatsoever, they know their body's gonna die. That everyday meditation, they're spending 30 minutes, or 60 minutes or 90 minutes dead, their egos dead, their ego has been left behind for a while that local self is quiet, it's not being inhabited by consciousness consciousness is one and the local consciousness of that person of you has merged with non-local consciousness. And so you know that when that body dies permanently, when you take your last breath and you're on that slab in that morgue, (laughs) you're now the person who was in the hospital and took your last breath. And now you're the, now you're the, the, the stiff on the morgue table. And you know, that's just the passing away of something that has passed away for you many, many times, thousands of times during your life as you meditated. And that holds no terror for you whatsoever. You lose your fear of death, you lose the fear of death of anybody you know and love. And you know that in consciousness for one, and that consciousness is eternal. So that's really the the space to live out of. You'll come back into your life and you're fearless in life. You're not afraid of things. This might happen. There might be war, there might be famine, there might be economic disruption, there might be losses, you're going to lose things along the way, you might lose relationships, you might lose jobs, you will definitely as you approach old age, lose some of the abilities you had as a younger person. So you're going to have maybe if you have a perfect life, you're still going to age, and you're still going to move through that gateway called death. So you have you have these losses on the way. And if you know that you are consciousness itself, that holds no terrors for you, that holds no dread for you, you aren't worried about passing through that doorway, and leaving your body and moving to the other side, you know that you are one with you all that is, you'll know that's your true nature. And dropping the body has no more fear attached to it than going to sleep at night. So you we just we, we, we see as we do research on the states of these meditators, they approach life that way. And one other thing I'll mention is that when people come back into their bodies from non local, come back to local, when they're writing about the experience, I've done a lot of research into this, I've written my books about this, I've done research published in peer reviewed journals about this, they come back and they describe that state of oneness as the real world, this local world over here seems like a pale shadow, like an illusion, and the world of non local reality seems like the real world. So As you look at your life, imagine that as your possibility, moving into communion with non-local every day, inhabiting that space, feeling all of the love and expansiveness in that one consciousness, losing your fear of death and being in touch with what's more real than real. And it's as close as every breath. We're going to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Hello, and welcome back to high energy health. I'm your host Dawson Church. And I'm so so delighted to be sharing with you today about consciousness, wellness and about moving to those elevated states. Before we return to that theme, I'm going to share with you something I'm doing right now, which I warmly invite you to join me in. It's free. It's called the 21 day tapping challenge. And there are lots of Impediments that stop us reaching those elevated states, and one of those is the internal obstacles we built up over the years in our minds, in our belief systems, in our worldviews. And so, I have a really powerful program to help you shift that, and it's a series of meditations and seven-minute audio programs. They're super easy to use, and right now, in fact, it's starting this week. We are doing a 21-day challenge to release that. It's called the 21 day tapping challenge, because it uses EFT tapping to use acupressure to release all those impediments. And we focus over the 21 days on releasing any obstacles to your goals in the five primary areas of life that I find hold people back. And those primary areas are health. For many people, it's their health holding them back. It could be weight, it could be insomnia, it could be vitality, energy levels, but is health holding you back? Will focus on releasing those obstacles during the 21 day challenge. The second one is money. When I have people in my live workshops, it's the area of life they score lowest on their sense of, of belief in and their sense of mastery. And third one's love, love relationships, love relationships in your work, love relationships in marriage and partnership, love relationships in parents and children love relationships and community relationships, people struggle with relationships, they often make people miserable. So how can you release the obstacles to a great set of relationships that really nurture and support you the fourth area we'll tap on is work, your work, your career, if you're retired, and what do what you do with your days, if you aren't working yet, what you're doing by way of, of study by way of preparation for work, all the things at work, that might be obstacles. We'll work on releasing those. And finally, we'll tap away anything that gets in the way of you really having a rich and full life in the realm of spirituality. Do you tell me you don't have time to meditate? Do you when you meditate, feel no sense of connection with you all it is? What's going on with your spiritual life? Do you have a rich inner and spiritual life? If not, we'll release those obstacles during the 21 Day Tapping Challenge. Again, it's starting right now. Enrollment is about to close. And if you'd like to join me for that 21 days, go to tappingchallenge.com, write this down, tappingchallenge.com or just put it into your phone or wireless mobile device, tappingchallenge.com go there register and you will then free be doing this 21 day tapping challenge on the way to releasing all of your obstacles. That's the 21 day tapping challenge at tappingchallenge.com. I'd love to have you join me. There is a lot of fun, easy content there, and you're gonna love it and quite possibly experience enormous changes in your life after that 21 day tapping challenge. So we looked at some of the characteristics of the people who have these experiences. And I mentioned a few of them earlier, that they lose the fear of death, that it's for them more real than real. They also gain a sense of meaning and purpose in life. They feel their life has meaning. They feel their life has purpose. They feel they are here on earth for a reason. And I just can't tell you how important that is to live a life that way. I know when I was 12, 15, 18 years old, even 20 or 25 years old, I just did not have a strong sense of life purpose. I drifted from one career to another, one attempt to another, one relationship to another, one place to another. I had no strong, central sense of purpose driving me. But when I found my life purpose, and my life purpose for me personally is simply unlocking love. It's letting go of the obstacles to love and then unlocking the maximum possible amount of love in your life. Most people have a very small amount of love that they're content with in their life. I want people to welcome having huge, huge amounts of love in your life. And so I do things that facilitate people having that experience. I teach meditation so they can move into the loving space. I also teach EFT tapping so people people can tap away the obstacles to, to them being in that space and so those are two essential practices tapping and meditation to having that sense of living your potential and so I know a life where I drifted and didn't feel grounded didn't feel there was a reason to be here and when I discovered my potential it changed my career changed my health it changed my wealth it changed everything about my life. So I want you to live with that sense of meaning and purpose. And we find when we study people who are in this journey, that they had that strong sense of purpose. My dear friend, Andrew Newberg wrote a book called How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. And when I was writing my book, this brain, his was one of the primary books I used to identify the research facts that I would use in this brain. And Andrew has done a study of 2000 people who have got there who've reached those elevated states of either enlightenment with a big E, permanent change or enlightenment with a small e, little change moving into inspiration. And he finds there are several characteristics of those people. And one of those characteristics is they feel that sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. So do you feel that sense of meaning and purpose in your life? Do you wake up every morning knowing what your life purpose is? Do you know why you're here? Do you know who you really are? Do you know yourself be one with that consciousness of the old it is? Do you live a life in which that is your reality, or like I used to do for so many miserable years, do you just drift and not ask life's big questions? Ask life's big questions because when you discover who you are, when you get the answer to life's big questions, you start to realize that you truly are one with the all that is, one with the universe, one with the field of all consciousness. And that field of consciousness is love. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church, and you're listening to High Energy Health. I'm so glad you're here. And I'd love to have you join me for the next 21 days because I'm doing a 21 day tapping challenge. The 21 day tapping challenge is working on all of the obstacles that hold you back in five life areas. And those life areas are money, health, career, love, and Spirituality. So, what is holding you back in any one of those areas? We're going to get together and we're going to do EFT tapping. We're going to release those obstacles and allow you to claim your full potential. And you can join me there free for the next 21 days at tappingchallenge.com. Tappingchallenge.com. The program lasts for 21 days. Each program within each day is only seven minutes long. They're really brief. And for each of the 21 days, you get a set of meditations that will help you really stabilize your thinking and release those obstacles. So join me for the 21 day tapping challenge at tappingchallenge.com. So we have this precious gift called attention. We have this precious faculty that we can direct anywhere we want to. When we direct our attention toward the infinite, when we relax our grip on local mind and move into non local reality, Suddenly, we're one with the all it is. And we realize there's only one consciousness in the universe, there is only one consciousness. And we are one with that one consciousness, the religions of the world look very, very different. If you look at a Christian service, compare it to a Hindu service, compare that to a Taoist service, compare that to Judaism, Buddhism, they all look so different on the outside, just a group of very different theologies, practices and steps. And yet all other religions and the world's great philosophies have one thing in common. They were all born out of mystical experience. And they're all designed to bring us back to mystical experience. Mystical experience is not religion. It's not religious. It is simply that movement of our awareness into oneness with the all that is and oneness with consciousness. So we're moving from our limited local selves into that one consciousness. And that is the pinnacle, the pinnacle of all the religions. Every religion began with one man or one woman having that unfiltered experience of the all it is, that unfiltered face to face, awareness to awareness encounter, in consciousness and becoming one with all consciousness. And then they did things like Moses came down from (laughs) Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And Jesus, after 40 days in the wilderness, came back to be in his public ministry. Muhammad, after his night journey, in which he saw the seven levels of heaven, came back. And so the Buddha, after his his night under the Bodhi tree, came back. In fact, he shone, he just looked so different. The Buddha looked so different when he came back from his night of meditation. And people looked at him and said, are you a God? And the Buddha replied, I am awake. (laughs) So all these people, Muhammad and Jesus and Rumi, they all came back from that peak experience. And that was their answer, I'm awake. Now, what their followers did then was make a religion out of them. They said, well, he was wearing saffron robes and 108 prayer beads. So must be saffron robes, must be the crucifix, must be the rosary. (laughs) His head was shaved. He just shaved his head because he didn't want to get fleas. But his head was shaved. So now we're all going to have our head shaved. And so... People picked up on all these trivia, all this window dressing around the, the, the mystical experience. They picked up on the time. Oh, it happened in a cave, so we must have to go to a cave to meditate. Oh, it happened in the desert, it must be the desert. It happened during a meditation retreat, it must be a meditation retreat, it must be. So we then throw all this packaging on top of the mystical experience and, and try and capture it with all of the window dressing that surrounds it. But I can tell you from doing research, and I've done a lot of research using psychological screening, using MRIs, using EEGs. And you can see all of these in my book, Bliss Brain. I've got a, a whole, the whole lens of Bliss Brain is looking at meditation through the perspective of science. And I can tell you that it's none of the above. It's none of the trappings of religion that is going to get you there. It is that direct mystical experience and anyone can have it. People have had it through all centuries, all millennia, all cultures, all languages. Nobody has a corner on the mystical experience. All the religions began that way. There was this inspired person, this inspired human being and she or he, we hear more about the he's and the she's, but there are just as many she's, than he is, if not more she is than he is. Everybody who had that experience came back and then they had this burning passion to share it with other people. I want other people to awaken. Buddha said, I am awake. And Jesus said, greater things than I do shall ye do. So they said, you get it too. It isn't just mine as Siddhartha. It isn't just mine as Muhammad or mine as Rumi or mine as Jesus or mine as Moses. It's yours too and maybe even more. That we have such a tendency to personalize it, say it's that person, it's that the one per- that special being. It happened to it. He worshipped them, and we miss the whole point of what they were trying to say, which was that. Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> go get as happy as I was. Go be one with the divine. Lose your fear of death. Be in the place more real than real. Find meaning and purpose and that into your life. And love yourself enough to be in that state every single day through meditation, through acts of kindness, through charity, through awe, gratitude, all of these wonderful ways of being there and getting there. Just go do it. And so that is the pinnacle and the source of every religion. Religions are useful. They give you a roadmap, but they are not the destination. They're just the map. You can pick any map. You can pick no map. Go into the desert yourself and try a direct experience. So the mystical experience is that commonality in all of these great ones, in all of these great experiences. And research shows that you too, can enter into those spaces. If you'd like to use a meditation that I use every day to get there, it's called eco meditation. Just go to ecomeditation.com. That's just E-C-O, ecomeditation.com. You can download my free meditation there. We have a lot of research showing it gets most people to that pinnacle really fast. Most of them, the very first time they do it, because it's science-based. So go to ecomeditation.com, download the free meditation, and give it a try. See what it's like to move into those higher states. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church. I'm so delighted that you are with me here. You're listening to High Energy Health. And each week on the show, we bring you information, wisdom, and practical tools you can use to up-level your own health, your own well-being, and your own happiness. I'll mention a few things here that are resources. Right now, I'm conducting a 21-day tapping challenge. It's free. And the intention is to tap away all the obstacles between you and your well-being and Five key life areas. To learn more and to sign up for the free tapping challenge, go to tappingchallenge.com. Tappingchallenge.com for a free copy of my book Bliss Brain. Go to blissbrain.com. Also, at Bliss Brain you'll find eight free meditations, and these are powerful meditations to help you balance your energy and really have a sense of that life purpose. And then finally, if you want to download a free a copy of my eco meditation track. That's at ecomeditation.com, ecomeditation.com. Ecomeditation.com. You can do that anytime. Download that copy. Have it available. We've shown in research that it's actually changing the structural anatomy of your brain. And for releasing obstacles right now, do the 21-day tapping challenge with me that is still enrolling today, but it actually closes tomorrow. In the book. How enlightenment changes your brain. Andrew Newberg lists these five characteristics of people who have these transcendent experiences. And again, he divides them into enlightenment with a big E, where you get changed forever. That's the Moses and the Rumi and the Master. And then there are little e experiences. We've all had those. Little 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 e enlightenment is watching a sunset. And like last night, I took a walk at sunset and just watched the sun sinking below the horizon. And wow, it was so enchanting. And I was just in, just completely absorbed in the spectacle for a while, giving it my full attention. I forgot everything else. That's a little e experience of enlightenment. Holding a baby. I've held my children after they were born. And holding a baby might give you a small e enlightenment experience. Walking on the beach might do that. Singing or hearing music that carries you away, smelling a rose. Nature is a great way to have small e enlightenment experiences. And Andrew Newberg, in his book, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, he has listed the characteristics of people who go through these experiences. He has a database of 2,000 people who've written in about their experiences. And I've been sharing with you some of the characteristics of these people. They have a sense of unity or connectedness with the all that is. They have a sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. They also have a sense of intensity in their lives. They are paying attention and the experience itself is incredibly intense. This morning I was meditating. And as I sat there, I was literally shaking with intensity because it's orgasmic. When you have all those wonderful neurochemicals, I talk about these in this brain, how serotonin, oxytocin, nitric oxide, Anandamide, beta endorphin all flood the brain of the person doing eco meditation, and you feel absolutely wonderful. I literally was shaking in ecstasy as I did that. And the people who are having these small e enlightenment or big e enlightenment experiences, those are such intense experiences. They often shape your life. Andrew Newberg says that the brain that comes out of one of those experiences is not the same brain. That went in. It can literally reorganize your brain to have one of those experiences one time. And so I'm catalyzing that now, and lots of people, we've had hundreds of thousands of people download eco meditation. We've done MRI research showing that you do eco meditation for just a month, and the anatomical structure of your brain changes. The suffering part of your brain dials down, the compassion part of your brain dials up. That's according to a study in the peer reviewed journal innovations in clinical neuroscience. So this isn't just me saying, I think you'll feel better. This is neuroscientists looking at people in MRIs and saying their brain anatomy has changed where they're feeling much, much, much better. So let's look at a a couple of the other characteristics of these people having experiences. One is a sense of surrender, they have a sense of surrender. And you know what it's like when you're wanting control of your life, you're wanting to know what's going to happen in my life? What's going to happen next? How am I going to make a living? How will I pay the rent? How will I find the love of my life? How will I change jobs? How will I survive the recession? What about the next variant of Coronavirus that comes along, blah, 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 our minds <laughs> give us an endless supply of this worry and fretting and stuff to worry about We beyond surrendered. We're definite we're always clinging for control in a world that's beyond our control. You have no control over the next variant, you have zero control over the economy. You have no control over wars that are raging in distant parts of the world. Don't even have control of the people around you. Are you married? (laughs) You'll know. You can't even control your spouse. Do you have kids? You'll know it's pretty hard to control your kids. You can't even control members of your own team at work. So your body does stuff like age, like get sick that you can't control. So all of these things are out of our control. And we keep on trying to get them under our control. And what happens to people having these experiences is they just surrender. You just surrender to the all it is. And that is key to serenity. That is key to having a peaceful life, inner peace in your heart and a sense that all is well. You just sit there and you breathe. You pay attention to the breath, the very, very first thing you do. And as you do that, You have the sense of serenity in surrender. You are surrendered to what is you love what is sometimes really bad things happen. I know in my life some pretty spectacularly bad things have happened. I lost a child at a very young age and I wrote a book about that many, many years ago and it was very hard to lose a child. So I had a big loss there. I at one point in my life had a terrible business disaster. And that was miserable to live through. But I, you know, lived through that one. I got divorced at one point, and that was really horribly difficult for me. Uh, Just a miserable experience. And so we all have the stuff that goes on in our lives. What's happened for you that challenges you? We don't have control. And yet when you have that sense of inner peace, whatever happens outside of you, you have this characteristic called resilience. You don't just have a resilient mind and a resilient mindset. You have a resilient brain. In my book, Bliss Brain, I talk about post-traumatic growth in Chapter 7 of Bliss Brain. And two-thirds of people who go through traumas actually grow as a result of them. That's post-traumatic growth. One-third of people collapse and they go into post-traumatic stress. But two-thirds of people learn to cope They're strong the resilient, and you want to be one of those people. And that sense of surrender is key. Once you're one with the all that is, once you've lost your fear of aging and death and loss, you know that all is well at some very deep place in your heart. Does that mean you become indifferent to the suffering of other people? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You feel the suffering of other people and you maintain your inner peace. I do things to help the suffering of other people. I do major initiatives. If you look at my research, I've done enormous humanitarian things over the years, decades of them to help people who are suffering. So you're an activist to alleviate the suffering of others, but you maintain your own sense of inner peace. And you can do far more to alleviate suffering of other people if you yourself are in that space of calm and peace and love inside. So I invite you to meditate to tap to release your limitations and to be the person you are meant to be. We all have this wiring in our brains. We all have these circuits that can make us happy make us joyful. We can use our attention circuit to pay attention. We can use our compassion circuit to love and be in gratitude, we can control our self absorption and remove and release our suffering, we can do all these things to support ourselves. It just takes you moving to that space of intention and living your life from that place. Thank you. And it's been such a privilege to share with you today. Till next time, I'm Dawson Church. Until we connect again, be healthy, be happy and love yourself to the max. Thank you.